So I'm the little guy. <laughs> Typically when I go to churches, I'm like, bring the little stool. Right? So I'm like, oh, there is somebody behind the podium. It's okay. Well, Pastor uh, told you that I'm with Dave Reaver Ministries. Many of you guys know Dave Reaver. Am I right? He said, you tell my friends there in Northville that their friend Dave Reaver said hello. <laughs> and the other thing is that if you guys also know that Dave Reaver is very patriotic. So on behalf of my boss, I honor him and I want to say if there's any Vietnam veterans in this house, welcome home. And if you're a veteran or first responder, we thank you for your service. I appreciate you. Well, just like Dave, you know, if you guys have, I know that this church and this house has honored Dave and they love him and he loves you back. But you also know that Dave doesn't travel alone. He'll always have somebody with him, whether it's Kathy Wampler and her husband Dave Wampler or the next person God has Dave mentoring. Today, I have somebody with me. Today, I've brought somebody. I'm not traveling alone. I'm actually, actually, I brought my son and my two granddaughters and my wife are, are with me. You know, today's message is fighting for the soul of a family. That's the message today. Today's fighting for the soul of a family. And friends, I'm fighting for the soul of my family. I'm being honest, I'm up here right now, but I'm fighting for the soul of my family. And I'm speaking Jesus, speaking Jesus over it. I'm speaking Jesus over my son's name, over my granddaughter's name. I'm speaking Jesus over their situation. Because let me tell you something, friends. I didn't start out as a preacher. I lived a whole nother life and my kids grew up in that. But today I have the honor, like Dave Reaver, that has the honor to raise up men and women to come up under him, to raise them into the ministry, and to go and affect the world. So today, you get to hear from my son. Mason, come up here. I've asked Mason, I've asked Mason to take a few minutes and to greet you. Hello everyone, my name is Mason. Um, I live in Battle Creek, um, but I'm glad to be here with, the, with, with this family here. I do want to touch bases with a few things. The Lord has something on my heart just to explain. Um, the power of prayer, just never give up. If there's someone that you pray for, you know it's amazing what it can do. My family has never given up on me and I'm here right now. Um, kind of nervous, but... Shake it off a little bit. But it's brought my family a lot closer, just being with the Lord. It's been a, it's been a very long road for me just to, to stay with the Lord. Uh, the devil tries to take me out of his uh, presence a lot. And um, it's following him has brought my kids closer. And that's one thing that I really want to do is just to bring them closer to the Lord so they understand what the devil tries to do and take us down, the path that the Lord has and the fruit that he bears is way more, it's, it's amazing, the light. The Holy Spirit, 
It's just amazing. I battled with uh, drug and alcohol since I was about 14 years old, and the only thing that I can come out of that, like the pastor was saying, is the Lord, just prayer and just the, everything that he brings is the only thing that's going to be able to keep me straight on that path that the Lord wants me to keep going down. Growing up in a military structure was not easy for me. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was very hard, and um, the battle of it, I didn't really want to be at home at all. But knowing now that I have children of my own, it means very important to me what I bring home to the table and how I carry myself and getting to know the Lord and getting to know more scriptures, um, scriptures it, uh, it's important. And following my father's footsteps, it's, uh, it's amazing. And this right here, being able to speak and give what the Lord wants to say to you is the more adrenaline rush that I've ever had in my life. <laughs> Can't no drug top this right here. <laughs> <laughs> but just keep the Lord near to you, near to your family, and watch what he unfolds. With that, um, just thank you, and the, Jesus is alive, and he is well, he is, he is powerful. Thank you, that's all I have today. Good job, good job. Friends, that's a miracle right there. You just watched the miracle. And I'm gonna um, I'm gonna share some more things. Hey, but you know when Dave Reaver shows up anywhere, he's always in a suit and a tie, and that man is suited and booted. So what I wanted to do is make sure that I honored my boss in front of you. But hey, don't tell him, okay? Because he's gonna come back one day. But I'm gonna take my jacket off. <laughs> Babe, can you come grab my jacket? Or else I'm going to pass out up here. <laughs> then you guys are going to be speaking Jesus over me as I'm on the ground. All right. So, you know, I thought it was fitting for my son to greet you guys. Because we talked, we're talking about this is the soul of a family that we're fighting for. If you guys knew that boy's life, you guys... You guys would just be in awe that he is up here right now testifying to the power of Jesus. You know, when I was a young boy, he came into my life. He was nine years old, and his sister was 11 years old, and I married their mom. But I was 24 years old, and I wasn't doing it right. I was living in the world. And for that boy to be up here and say, I want to do it like my daddy, that's only Jesus. You know, there's things in my past I wish never happened. And I know that there's many of you that in your past, in your life, you wish there's things that never happened. Things, that, things in the military that I brought home. I brought home from Afghanistan and Iraq. You know, can I, can I just be transparent with you? This morning, my wife said, why are you so angry? I'm the preacher today. You know what? 
I'm tired because we have been out. We, we're not at home. You know, we're living in a suitcase. We're staying with our daughter in Michigan. I was in Dearborn the last couple of days. And then, you know, we're in a hotel last night with my granddaughters, and I'm trying to get everything together, and I'm trying to make sure that it's all perfect for Jesus and for you guys. But you know what? We got in the car, and my wife was like, I can tell that you're, that you're irritated. And I was like, yeah, like I was, you know, because I was out of my, my normal routine, and then I stopped and I grabbed her hand and I repented and I said, you know what, I'm sorry. And I said, Jesus, give me the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, humility, patience, long-suffering and self-control. You know preachers need that too? You know what the other thing is? It's okay for my family to come and disrupt my, my schedule and the way I do things. You're welcome anytime to disrupt my schedule and how I do it. But you know what? Every once in a while, we need to, we need to stop and say, Lord, we need the fruits of the Spirit because I want to make sure that you actually want what I have. Because if you're just an angry Christian, if you're just mean, and you're just looking at your family and saying, well, this is the way it should be. You should be living like me. Who's going to want what you have? So I had to stop, my kids weren't in the car, my son was following us, and I had to stop as we were driving, stop, stop my actions, not the car, and say, Lord, touch my heart right now. Because yeah, I could tell that I'm, that I'm acting a little irritated. Lord, I want the fruits of the Spirit, because I, I want my son to want what I have. And if I'm just an angry, mean Christian, who wants that? Believe me, they're all over. They're, they're out there. I'm just being real with you. And I'm glad because over the years, that's what my son has saw. He has saw the transformation in me. That's what drew him. He's up here right now because he saw, the tr he saw God take an angry, mean man and transform him. Who's ever seen that movie, uh, I Can Only Imagine? He said, I watched God take a monster and turn him into my father into the man I wanted to be. What did my son do, do today? He grabbed the mic and said, I want to be like my daddy. Can God do that in your life? Can he dis is he allowed to disrupt your, your schedule, your situation? You know, as my kids were... As my kids were um, growing up and I brought all this turmoil in their life, something that I had to realize is that I couldn't just change it like that. So I had to love them in the middle of it and I had to walk with them through their, through their process of transformation. But before we get to all that, I wanna share a little bit of my story and tell you how my life began and what that looked like. You know, I grew up in, the, in Los Angeles. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been to Los Angeles. Don't go there. You don't need to. You'll be okay. Michigan's a good place. Stay here. But here's what happened. 
My dad died when I was five years old. He drank himself to death. He died of cirrhosis of the liver. What happens when there's no daddy in a home? I'm not talking about a father. Here's the greatest deception. I didn't realize during those times that I actually had a father. But in my house, my dad died. My dad, who should have been the reflection of the heavenly father in my home, was gone. Hey, friends, you want to know what a fatherless generation looks like? Turn the TV on. They're burning cities down. That's what a fatherless generation looks like. You're going to hear a little bit more about my son and his walk. Why? Because not, not that he, he didn't have a, a daddy in his home. He had an absent parent in his home. Because there's other households that daddy's in the home, but he's actually not there because he's checked out. Friends, I don't need to point at you. I don't need to open your door. I'm telling you what was going on in my door. So five years old, dad dies. Well, what happens when you got a young boy and there ain't no daddy in his home? You go out looking for daddy. You go out looking for affirmation. I never once heard my daddy say, you're my son and who I'm well pleased. So what did I do? I needed people to tell me that I was cool. I needed people to affirm me. And although I had a good mother in my home and a good grandmother, which I'm actually here because I'm the evidence of grandma's prayers. I'm here right now because grandma prayed, and you're going to hear more about that. But initially, grandma's prayers couldn't keep me because the influences outside my home were greater than the influences inside my home. Seventh grade, the girls thought the gangs were cool. I thought the girls were cool, and I became a gang member. If I took up my shirt, you would see tattoos up my stomach, down my back. I don't want that. I don't want Pastor to call the cops because I took my shirt off and then Dave Reaver's going to find out. We don't need that here. By ninth grade, I'm a teenage father. Yeah, that, that boy's in California right now. We have a good relationship. He's my son. But ninth grade, I had a teenage, I, had a, I was a teenage father. And by 12th grade, I started methamphetamines. How many of you have ever been wounded by people you trusted? You want to know who wounded me? And I wouldn't say that, that they wounded me, but they introduced me to something that, that almost took my life and destroyed me. It was the person that loved me. See, there's many people right now in high schools or all over the world that someone introduced them to a smoke, a drink, a snort, something, and they've never recovered from it. My cousin, whom was a bad influence on me, and, and believe me, I was equally as bad on him. I'm saying that because I always cover myself because when it hits the internet, it's out there. I don't ever want him to think that he did this to me. But he introduced me to this. It was methamphetamines. I became addicted to methamphetamines at 12th grade. Here's the other things, friends. I never crossed an academic stage. I know that you got to have a couple marbles up here to join the military, but man, I was, I, w I only had a few marbles. The rest of the marbles were gone because I wasn't paying attention in class. Junior high, I didn't, I didn't cross an academic stage. They just passed me along because it's California school system. 
and they didn't want a 21-year-old eighth grader with a beard? I mean, I think it would have been okay because, I mean, two things. If I was 21-year-old in the, in the eighth grade, two good things could have came out of that. One, I could have drove myself to school, and I could have paid for my own lunch. Other than that, it wouldn't have been good. And then, and then in high school, I didn't even graduate. I, I, didn't, get, I, I didn't cross the stage in the, with the diploma and, the, and everything. The teacher's assistants in summer school gave me the answers to the test. You know, Dave Reaver often says, you know what, every once in a while, God's got to kick some people upstairs. I will say this. God didn't cause me to cheat. Teacher's assistants gave me the answers to the test, and that's how I made it. Friends, my life was going nowhere real fast. And one day, my sister looks at me, and she says, hey, look, I know you're addicted to drugs. You need to get out of here. You're going to be a loser the rest of your life. And I said, well, what am I going to do? What, what, what can I do? She said, you need to join the military. I was like, no way. I'm not joining the military. Not this guy. I wasn't, friends, I wasn't patriotic. You guys heard of Teen Challenge? John Arroyo should have went to Teen Challenge, not the military. It was go to war or go to jail back then. But you know what? When you're addicted or you have something in your life, like today my wife said, hey, you're, you're a little irritated. See, you think that nobody sees the things that's going on in your life. But you're an open book. The only person that doesn't see what's going on is you. When you're in addictions, you're the only one that doesn't, doesn't know it. Everybody else around you sees it. So my sister said, you're going to come live with me. You're going to sleep on my couch. So you know what a meth addict does? They stay up all day or stay up all night and they sleep all day. Pastor, there's no one that was ever recovering meth addict in this church. It's just me. I'm just, I'm just saying. This is a holy place. I know that none of you guys know any of that lifestyle. So my sister... She said, you're not going to sleep. You're not going to be a loser. You're, you're going to do something with your life. So you know what she would do? She wouldn't let me sleep. If, if, I, stayed, if I stayed sleeping longer than 9 o'clock in the morning, she would come and pour water on me. My sister was waterboarding me before I joined the military. <laughs> it was crazy. But, but okay, let's go back to grandma. But grandma prayed for me. And let me say this, friends, grandma never got to see this. Grandma never once watched me preach the gospel. So what am I telling you? Don't go off of what you see. Don't stop praying. See, it's not, it's not that your prayers are not effective. Your prayers are effective. But grandma stepped into heaven, and he is the covenant keeper. Jesus is the one that's faithful. So here's the thing. Grandma planted the seed into the ground, and my sister was watering it. <laughs> and I know many of you, friends, are praying for your marriage, praying for your finances, praying for your kids. Don't give up. And don't go off of what you see. Speak Jesus over them. And maybe one day you're going to see your baby preaching the gospel at a church. And this is what I believe every once in a while that my grandma, that Jesus calls grandma over. And he's like, Rosie, I got him at Northfield today. 
And I didn't only save him. I made a preacher out of that boy. So my sister said, you got to do something. I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? Join the military. I'm like, okay. So I go see this army recruiter. That dude was a used car salesman. Let me tell you something. That dude was a used car salesman. He was trying to sell me something. And it's 1998. It's pre-9-11. So there's no war going on at the time. Maybe just some traveling around. And anyways, I go and I, and I, take, the, I take the ASVAB, the test for the military, and I fail it. I got a 29 on a test. You got to score a 30. I think I spelled my name wrong. I mean, I, I don't think anyone ever fails that thing, but I did. And then I go back. But this time I was ready for that test. I went back six months later, took that test. How many of you guys know that we got Space Force now? There's a, we got a new branch called Space Force. If I would take that test today, John Arroyo would be going to Space Force. I'd be building rockets. You want to know what I, went, what I scored the second time I went and took that test? A 31. Again, Jesus sometimes got to kick people upstairs. Friends, let me say something to you. I'm an Army captain. I'm a Green Beret. And I just graduated with a doctorate degree. You know why? Because my sister was the feet to grandma's prayers. And grandma never stopped praying and didn't go off of what she saw. Let me say this again. Don't go off of what you see. My son, my son got up here in the lifestyle that he came from and told you about Jesus because his mom and me didn't, haven't been going off of what we saw. And that seed is now starting to come up out of the ground. See, when you plant a seed, a tree, it takes a while to break, break through, right? But what's the strongest part of that tree? It's not the trunk, it's the roots. They're going down. Mm. Stick with me, we're going somewhere. So I joined the military, and I said, look, I just need to be, I just, I just need a skill. I just need a skill and a job and some health care because I got a baby. Right, that, that was the important stuff. Oh, and I need a discipline. Yeah, I needed some of that discipline stuff. So John Arroyo showed up in 1998 in Fort Bragg, North Carolina in the 82nd Airborne Division. Hey, you want to know what I, you know what I found as soon as I got there? I got the job, I got the health care, but that discipline I was looking for, I didn't have to look for it anymore. It found me. Oh, man, I tell my wife, if something ever happens to me and I come up missing, you just go swab Fort Bragg for my DNA because my sweat and blood and tears is all over that place. Oh, Sarge hooked me up. But I needed the military. So I, initially, I started out as a truck driver. Yeah, well, that's not what my recruiter told me. Remember the used car salesman? He told me I was going to be a motor transport operator. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's, that's really high speed and has a lot of words. And really what it boils down to is, dude, you're a truck driver. You just do it in uniform. So then I see these Army Rangers in Green Berets, and I was like, those dudes are cool. Oh, my goodness, I want to be one of them. Here's the other thing. You know what I needed? I needed affirmation. I constantly wanted people to tell me that I was the guy. I was cool. 
And everybody looked up to these Green Berets. Everybody was like, oh, man, those dudes are cool. So guess what I wanted? I wanted people to say that I was cool. And so I just started telling everybody I was going to be a Green Beret. I didn't even know what a Green Beret was. I just knew that they were cool. So one day, one of my friends walks up to me and says, hey, dude, why don't you go try out or shut your mouth? So it's like kind of put up or shut up kind of thing, right? I'm like, all right, I'll do that. So I went and tried out. I get all the way to the end of their selection, 24 days. And you don't want to know what they told me? We don't think you're smart enough. Friends, I'll be honest with you. I failed more things in my life than I've ever succeeded at. I'm just being honest. But here's the thing, I just keep getting up. I just keep getting after it. And the reason why I keep achieving like Edison, my boy, Pastor, Pastor Trey Hancock, took me the other day to the Ford Museum, and he showed me everything. How many times do you think they failed or experimented? You would honestly say that in my life I experimented a whole bunch of times, and there was maybe a few times I got it right. Friends, I failed more things than I've ever succeeded at. You know what? And I, I, I believe that... I believe that God used it. I believe that God used the failure. See, God didn't cause me to fail, but he used it. And here's why. Because if I would have succeeded at every single thing every time and would have been the honor grad, God would never be able to use me because my pride would be out the roof. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you. She's like, oh, yeah, you like being up there. Go, go. You, you like being in front of the camera. Go, go. I'm like, no, that's what God called me to do. She's like, no, it's a pride thing. I'm like, I'm telling you, this, this is true story stuff. So, but God used my failure and it humbled me. What? You can failure humble you? It did to me. You fail as a Green Beret and you got to walk into a room full of meat eaters, it'll humble you real fast. So I end up going back to selection a year later, and I get selected. One June 2004, I signed into the 3rd Special Forces Group as a Green Beret. My sergeant major, who was a senior enlisted advisor in your unit and your organization, said, John, you got 15 days to get your family in order because you're on your way to Afghanistan. In June 2004, I ended up in Afghanistan, and I got three combat tours now, two to Afghanistan and one to Iraq. But before I went to Afghanistan, my grandmother, you know, being Mexican from California, she gave me this bottle of anointing oil. I don't have it with me, but she gave me a bottle of anointing oil. She said, mijo, right, Mexicans from California. I don't speak Spanish, so please don't come up to me and start speaking Spanish. That's about as much Spanish as I know. Oh, and I can order food. I'll take some guacamole. I'll take two tacos. That's about it. So... My grandmother gives me this bottle of anointing oil, and she says, Mijo, you plead the blood of Jesus on everything and everyone. So here I am now, a Green Beret in Afghanistan. It's 2004, and I have every weapon system known to men. You, you name it, I can call in bombs. We can level houses. But before we went out of the wire, the first thing I pulled out was always my weapon of choice. You want to know what it was? Grandma's bottle of anointing oil. 
And I began to plead the blood of Jesus on everything and everyone. I would go up to our vehicles, our, our up-armor vehicles and our 50-cal machine guns and the steering wheels, and I would plead the blood of Jesus. See, friends, he wasn't the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob yet to me. He was the God of Grandma. And I just think that Jesus looked down at, at this young boy and said, he don't even know what he's doing, but at least he's trying. I'm serious. One day, one of my teammates walks up to me and he says, hey, man, I appreciate what you're doing by praying for us, but no one's shooting at us. Would you stop praying? We're a bunch of Green Berets and we want to get it on. The guy standing next to him is our, was our uh, communication sergeant. He said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. We go back, that was my first tour. Second tour, we go back and we're in Bagram, we're getting all our gear together and we're getting ready to start another six months deployment. And the team that we're, we're changing out with says, expect to get blown up, expect the worst, expect a hornet's nest. So what did I do? I called upon the God of Grandma. And I began to plead the blood of Jesus on everything and everyone. And we had a new medic on the team during that time and he walks up to the guy that told me not to pray and he says, Hey, man, what's he doing? And he said, just let him go, bro. Just let him go. So let me say this to you. Maybe, maybe my teammates, the guys that weren't living for Christ back then because I wasn't living for God back then. Maybe they'll run into situations where they'll need to call upon the God of Grandma. And they're going to remember when we were in Afghanistan that I pleaded the blood of Jesus on everything and everyone. And maybe the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will show up for them like he did for us. Maybe in their family situation, maybe what they're going through right now, they'll remember when John pulled out that bottle of anointing oil. And they'll say, if the God of John Arroyo is still here, show me. So I want to ask you, friends, when you walk these streets, when you leave here, do people want what you have? When you're pleading the blood of Jesus on everything and everyone and in your household, are you sour about it? Do they want that Jesus? Do they want to call upon him? Or they, when they look at you, they say, I want to stay away from that Jesus because if my mom or my dad are like that or my grandma or my grandfather are like that, I don't need, I don't need him. You don't have to answer that. But friends... How many of you know that your relationship with God can save your family? Let me say that again. How many of you know that your relationship with God can save your family? Okay, I'm going I'm to back it up with scripture, okay? Proverbs 14, 26. I don't typically quote out of the NIV, but I was going through the scripture and this one really spoke to me. It says this. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children, it will be a refuge. I'm going to read that again. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children, it will be a refuge. Here's another scripture. 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. This is the NASB, 1995. But I want to say this. Let me give you the context of what's happening in, in this scripture. In 1 Kings chapter 11, God is talking to Solomon. How many know that Solomon started well, but he didn't finish well? 
And this is a conversation that God is having with Solomon as he is not finishing well. And we're starting at verse 11. It says this. So the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your day for the sake of your father David, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. I will not do it to you for the sake of your father David. Your daddy and I had a good relationship, and I love that man. And therefore, mm, although, although I, I have something against you, I'm not going to do it to you because your father honored me. Friends, my son walked up here, and he told you about the goodness of the Lord because I've been honoring him like David. And he'll do the same for you. He'll do the same for you. Your relationship with God can save your family. Hear me, friends. Your relationship with God can save your family and it can save your marriage. Man, but I was failing as a parent during that time. Going to Afghanistan, going to Iraq, coming back, angry, mean, and, and I didn't bring methamphetamines into my marriage, but I brought alcohol. See, I just took, that, I just took that, that disease that my father had and I brought it into my home. And I told my wife, hey, you want to hang out with me? Grab one of those. So I brought, this, I brought my wife on this destructive path. It wasn't just me this time. And I'm going to Iraq and going to Afghanistan and coming home. I'm mean. I'm just drinking. I was a mean, angry drinker. That's what my son grew up in. And during that time, as I was going and coming, my wife had to walk on eggshells. My kids had to walk on eggshells. Two times, my wife, right there, raise your hand, honey. My wife is a two-time suicide survivor because I was a mean, angry drunk. And God saved her. Thank you, ma'am. God saved her because she felt like she was in the middle between the kids and she just wanted out. But let me say this to you. The only time she ever did those foolish acts was under the influence of alcohol. See, Dave Reaver often says that when alcohol will cause you to lose your hope, hope is your last line of defense. Stay away from the alcohol, friends. Stay away from the alcohol. But then I was an absent parent. So I got, in, I got into a motorcycle accident while I was in the Army, and they gave me a desk job. I went and bought a truck at CarMax, and the guy offered me a job, and I took it. I ended up doing, working in the military and selling cars at CarMax. I became the used car salesman. <laughs> you know what? I went after money, friends. I went after money when my kids were teenagers, so I could make $100 more a week. You want to know what happens when moms and nurse work in 7A to 7P, and dad's going to work in the morning and then going to a second job at night, and your kids are teenagers? Who do you think's raising your kids? The people on the streets. And you know what I did? I blamed my kids when they started getting on trouble. I blamed my son and my daughter because it was for me being an absent parent. And old friends, as I said in the beginning, some of the things I wish I could have taken back. See, God said you can have your family or you could have money, but you can't have both. 
I'm not saying that God won't bless people with families. I'm not saying that. But the way I was doing it was wrong. He said, you can have your family or you can have money. And I said, God, give me the money. And my family went like that. And then I blamed my wife and I blamed my kids. But God had grace on us. 2009, my wife and I walked into a church. We drugged the alcohol in there with us. Like, I'm telling you. But grandma was praying. Listen to me. Grandma was praying. So I get this opportunity to become an army officer. This knuckle-dragon green beret that failed almost everything in his life got an opportunity to go to college. And then I get accepted to this officer program. So I went from enlisted to officer. And then when I graduated college, you want to know what I graduated with? A 3.9 GPA ranked number 80 in the nation among 4,000 cadets. See, friends, I can look back now and I can see the hand of God all over my life. And you'll see it in your life. See, when God begins to, to line you up with his calling, when you finally surrender, you walk into that church and you say, God, okay, I'm ready to do business, he'll put you in the, in, in the path that you were always supposed to go. I look back now and here's what I realize. That school that I went to and got my college degree, it was a Baptist college. God sent me to a Baptist college. I wasn't there for no Bible degree, believe me, at the time. I just needed a degree. I got a history degree. Don't ask me anything because I don't remember. But you know what? You know what happens when you go to a school, even though it's, it's a, it's a faith-based school, you have, you're required to take religion courses. So God said, little by little, you're going to learn about me. You're going to learn about my word. So I graduate in 2013. And I say, well, let's go somewhere else. So we, we end up at Fort Hood, Texas. So we've been on Fort Bragg, North Carolina for 15 years. Now we say, we're going to go to Fort Hood, Texas. It's called the Great Place. That's the name of that base. You're going to find out here in the next few minutes it wasn't that great for me. So my wife and I get there in November of 2013. Now we're going to fast forward quickly to April 2nd of 2014. So it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and i got to get to my unit headquarters and I shut the door, boom, I'm this new lieutenant now, right? I'm this new officer. I just graduated college. I mean, I'm on the top of the world. I'm, my career is soaring. I'm, I'm getting after it now. I mean, just ask me. I'm the coolest dude you would know. So I shut the door to my car, and I turn, and I go to walk to my unit headquarters, and I hear shots fired. Now, friends, I'm a Green Beret. I know what shots fired sound like. And I'm like, so I look to my 1 o'clock where I heard the shots fired, and there was, let me paint a picture for you real quick. So to my 9 o'clock was my unit headquarters. The soldier buildings were to the 11 and 12 o'clock. And to my 1 o'clock was a road that divided my unit from a transportation unit. So I'm looking towards my 1 o'clock where I heard the shots fired and a car pulls up in front of me. But I'm in a parking lot behind, behind security on base. Who thinks they're in danger? Not this guy. I turned my head back to where I heard the shots fired, and the next shot I heard ripped through my throat. April 2nd of 2014, one soldier shot 19 of us. I took a 45 caliber that severed my jugular vein, went through my voice box, and traveled into my right shoulder. Oh, friends, let me say something to you. In 2009, when I walked into that church, I met the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was no longer God's grandma. He became my grandma. He, I'm sorry, he became my God. <laughs> he was no longer my grandma, he became a guy. 
scratch that, erase that, er, we'll cut that out. He was no longer God, grandma's God, he became my God. And that's where I met him. And so after, in 2009, I began to tell everybody about this Jesus. So when I became an army officer, as I'm sitting with my soldiers and they're just like, oh my goodness, sir, my life is falling apart. I would say, well, I can't tell you what to do, but here's what I would do. I would pray. Friends, when that man shot me from 15 yards, point blank with a 45 to my throat, that bullet could have hit, struck me in the leg, the arm, the eye, the hand. It could have missed me, but it didn't. Listen to what I'm saying. It didn't. It struck me point blank in the throat and hit my voice box. What does God use today? So where do you think your biggest battles are going to be? Whoa. Where God's going to get glory in your life. Are you a giver? So does he strike your finances? Is it your family? Is it your marriage? Is that your biggest battle? Pastor, it's going to be this church. I'm going to tell you right now. Your greatest battles are going to be in this house because this is where God is called to get glory in your life and in your family. But I'm talking to you right now, right? So I turn. I move away. I head back towards my car. I'm just trying to get away from this guy. He drives off. And I get back to my car and I fall flat on my face and my life is pouring out. Friends, listen to me. I took a 45 caliber that severed my jugular vein. And I'm not saying that people don't live after being shot point blank in the throat with a 45, but I haven't met them. I'm on the ground. My life is pouring out. And you know what I wasn't thinking about? How many likes I had on Facebook. How much money I had in my bank account. Oh, because I, back then I was tight. I walked, I squeaked, man, whoa. I would give my wife $5 and I was like, bring back $250. i am telling you, I, I was tight back then. But you know what? When I thought I only had seconds to live, none of that mattered. You want to know what mattered during that time, friends? Them. Right there. They were the only thing that went through my mind. When I thought I only had seconds to live, you know what mattered most? Those I sacrificed the most. See, my wife and my kids never asked me to go and have this career and go and, and, and have people tap me on the back. So they didn't say, Dad, we want you to be a Green Beret. Dad, we want, a, we want you to get a college degree. These were things that I was trying to give them. I was trying to give them a better life, Right? But here's the thing, they never asked for that. All they ever wanted was me. So when I was on the ground and my life was pouring out, I said, God, who's going to care for my babies? Who's going to care for Mason? Who's going to care for Junior and Tia? Who's going to take care of my wife? God, what about my family? And I hear this audible voice, John, get up or your wife is going to die. I'm shot. I hear it again. But this time more stern. John, get up or your wife is going to die. Friends, what I, what I now know is Jesus was audibly speaking to me as I was dying on the ground. See, if I, again, if I walk in your house, I would find out what's going on in your life. Six months before I was shot, my wife, both her parents died nine days apart. Two years before that, her brother died in a hunting accident. She had lost her brother her mother, her father, and her living brother and sister, there was conflict in the family, 
She lost them too. She literally lost everybody six months before I was shot. And what Jesus was actually saying is, John, if you don't get up off the ground, she won't make, she won't make a mistake this time. She'll take her life. Friends, it was easier to die that day. It was easier to die that day. See, they would have just told my wife, Angel, it was a kill shot. John fell over dead. She no one would have ever knew the difference. But I would have stood before Jesus and he would have said, you disobedient servant. Now let me show you your family because I told you to get up. I gave you an option to live for your family. Let me say something, friends. Because I chose to live, where's my son today? Because I chose life. Here's the other thing. Why did Jesus have to tell me to get up twice? Because I didn't listen the first time. So I get up off the ground, I, I grab my throat, and I'm walking, I'm, I'm holding on to my throat. I, I go to grab my arm, I, I'm right-handed, so I go to grab my throat with my right hand, but I was like a Terminator movie, you know, I'm walking, my arm's dangling. It was crazy. So I, I realized that my right arm doesn't work. The bullet had damaged the nerves in my right shoulder. So I grab my throat with my left hand, I'm walking, there's a soldier walking towards me, and I'm like, like, help me, help me, but I can't speak. I'm just thinking this out loud. I'm trying to speak, but I can't. I realize I, I don't have a voice anymore. The soldier gets 10 feet in front of me and I stop in front of him and he stops and we're 10 feet apart face to face and he's looking around and, and I'm standing in front of the man that just shot me. He shot me from his car, drove off, got out of his car and started walking. We meet face to face and I stop and Jesus blinds him. He turns, walks away from me, walks in the building, shoots three more people, walks out the back and kills himself. Hey friends, let me say something to you. Right now, there's a lot of people saying, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? I'll tell you where he was, April 2nd of 2014. He stepped into the middle of death. When chaos was all around, breaking news, Fort Hood shooting, mass shooting, 19 people shot, multiple people dead. And you know what he did? He just stepped in the middle of it. And he said, John, get up. Did he stop it? Mm -mm. He just stepped into the middle of it with me. And he gave me a choice. And he's done the same for you. Jesus is saying to you today, get up. So I move away. The shooter, I could hear him shooting in the building. Some soldiers see me. They said, it looked, this is what alerted the soldiers to me. They said, it looked like I had a red scarf flapping in the wind. It was the blood squirting out of my neck. They yelled to me. They tell me to get down. They put me in the back of a truck, and they dukes a hazard me to the hospital. I know some of you guys know what dukes a hazard is. Come on. I know some of you guys remember dukes a hazard. They get me over to the hospital. One doctor has enough sense to put a tube in my throat. They get me to the elevator doors, and the elevator doors open, and all the, see, during this time, all the doctors are now rushing towards the ER because it's a mass casualty situation. 
the elevator doors open, and they go to put me in the elevator to get me into surgery, and two doctors come running out, and it's the ear, nose, and throat surgeons. Everything I needed was exactly where it needed to be the moment I was obedient to the voice that told me to get up. So they get me into surgery. They stabilize me. My wife has to come and, come and identify my body. She said that night my head was so swollen, my tongue wouldn't even fit back in my mouth. Everybody saw death. The next day is Thursday. I come out of my second surgery, and they tell my wife, he'll be in a medically induced coma until Saturday. This is Thursday. They tell her that. She walks up to me. She grabs my hand, and I wake up right there on the spot trying to tell her that it, what happened. Friends, miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle happened in my life the moment I was obedient to God. I'm not here today because I'm perfect. I'm not. Today I just try to be obedient to the Lord. And the message he gave me was get up. And it's been that message. I've been getting up ever since. Has it been perfect? No. This morning my wife was telling me, hey, you're being a jerk. And then I got to stop and repent and say, Lord, I want that fruit. I don't want to be a jerk. I want my kids to want to be around me. So I got a few more scriptures for you, and then we're going to wrap this up. So after I come out of the hospital, they tell my wife, all right, he's going to need a medical attendant. He can't leave the hospital unless somebody's with him. So my wife, where we lived in Colleen, Texas, and where I was recovering was two hours apart. Back then, we had four dogs and two birds and you name it. We had, a, we had a farm. So my wife was like, man, what am I going to do? So she prays, and God says, send Mason. So she comes to me. She says, God told me to send Mason. I couldn't speak back then, but you could probably figure it out what I was trying to say. <clears throat> I did that. But who was I to try to make decisions during that time? So here's what was happening, friends. I was utterly broken. See, everything in our lives was shattered. She had lost her parents. My career was in the balance. Oh, that career where I was trying to soar and as a Green Beret and Army officer, it was fractured. Whether I was going to stay in the military was, we didn't know. Nothing. Everything that, was, everything that could have been shaken in our life was utterly shaken. Our life was like a salt shaker and it was turned upside down and someone did like this. So here's what happened. God sends Mason and we go into this little Fisher House hotel room on the military base. And it was there in the middle of my brokenness that I looked at my son and I told him that I was sorry. And I asked him to forgive me. See, he had, he had all the power now. He could have did anything he wanted. He could have been like, oh, do you remember that time you did this to me? Do you remember that time you did? But he didn't. It was in that moment that God began to restore my family. And you know when it was, friends? When I was broken. It was in my brokenness that God began to heal my family. And then here's the other thing. God said, hey, John, you're going to move forward, but you got to do a couple things. You got to forgive the man that hurt you. God, what are you talking? How could I do that? Don't you remember the God? I mean, the man that just shot me, you're going to ask me to forgive him? Really, God? He said, but John, I've forgiven you for all the people you've hurt. 
And I said, God, I don't know if I could do that. And he said, okay, well, let me tell you what bitterness and unforgiveness looks like. PTSD, depression, anxiety, fear, alcoholism, you name it, just keep going. And I said, well, and he said, here's the other thing, John, we both can't carry it. Either you're going to carry it or I'm going to carry it, but we both can't carry it. And I said, God, I don't want those things. I don't want depression and fear and anxiety. And he said, good, then forgive him. And I said, God, I forgive Ivan Lopez and I, for, and I release him of the debt. He said, good, now start healing. See, friends, you want to know why I'm not wrapped up in the VA and a wet paper blanket in the corner? It's because I was able to forgive the man that hurt me. I was able to forgive the person that hurt me. You hear me? My instructor would do that when we were taking a test and he's giving us the answers. Giving you the answers to the test, friends. But here's the other thing God said. But you also have to forgive yourself for hurting people. Because hurt people hurt people. My son, my wife, and my children were hurt because I was wounded myself. And I had to forgive myself for hurting my family. All right, I just want to... I just want to share the last couple of things, and we're going to pray. You know, friends, how I respond to my kids today, is, I said it earlier, makes all the difference in the world. You know, when I'm with my kids, and, he's, and my son's getting a little agitated, the old John wants to come out and just be like, and just, I just want to, like, I'm telling you, believe me, it's still here, but the spirit is now stronger than the flesh. Right? The spirit inside of me has taken over the flesh. And that, those emotions where when my son is, is like getting agitated and I just want to tell him like, ugh. So the other day he was, he was, he was kind of irritated. And I, and I just, I just said, hey, son, it's going to be okay. Hey, man, we, don't worry. We'll, we'll get there. And all of a sudden that soft response calmed him down. <sighs> Back in the day I wouldn't have responded like that. I would have been like, why are you acting like that? We're not going. Here's what the Bible says. Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So when, I, when my son the other day was angry and just, just agitated, he was having, his, you know, he, he had worked all night and, you know, just things like that. And he was agitated. I, I, I would have just fueled the fire back in the day. But I just said, hey, son, it's going to be okay. And you know what? Maybe that's, what, that's why he wants what I have because now he, my kids have seen the transformation in me. So we're going back. We're fighting for the soul of a family. Remember that. I started off by saying, do they want what you have? Being able to respond to my kids in a loving way and softly just diffuse a situation. My son's here today because if not, maybe he wouldn't have been if I would have answered the way I wanted to. And I'm going to finish with a few scriptures in Colossians. Colossians 3, this is uh, verses 5 through 15. I'm reading out the New Living Translation, and I, I typically go with the King, New King James Version. But this one kind of spoke to me, so just bear with me, okay? It says this. 
So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. Yeah, that was me. But now's the time to get rid of anger, rage, malice, mal malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must close your, clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. And give, every, give anyone who, and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Friends, they said it. We used to live in all those other things. But now, give room for other people. For their faults. I'm not perfect. My kids are not perfect. And I know it. So what I try to do is I try to give a soft answer now. I try to understand. I try to keep my mouth shut when I know that nothing else good is going to come out. And I try to share the fruits of the Spirit. I try to let the fruits of the Spirit lead me with love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness. Friends, you just heard a story of a life that's utterly shaken, utterly broken. And I can be angry and I could be mad and I could, I could just take it out on the world. But why? Aren't I just happy that the Lord gave me an opportunity to wake up next to my family and to raise them still? Why would I be angry about that? After the guy shot me, he killed the next guy. He doesn't get to do that anymore. So what am I going to give my family? Anger and bitterness? No. Love, joy, and peace, and kindness, and goodness. Friends, I've, I often say this. I'm the guy that was shot in the throat by someone that I trusted, but yet I'm here encouraging you. You're going to be okay. Get up. Get up. Get up. Get up, get up, and give your family what they deserve, love, joy. Pray for your family, pray for your children, and don't stop, don't stop. Don't go off of what you see, don't stop praying for your children, don't stop praying for your family. Because one day, maybe it'll be you or your children standing up here on stage, and I'm going to be in those pews, and I'm going to be cheering you on. Friends, I'm John Arroyo, and I approved of this message.